Welcome to the Scarlet Faithful Podcast. Uh, it's my pleasure to welcome in Pat Lanny from NJ Advanced Media, Rutgers Beat Reporter, back from paternity leave, fresh on, on the beat, uh, new father. Congratulations, Pat, and thanks so much for being here. Yeah, my pleasure, Aaron. Thanks for having me. You got you know you do such a great job, and thanks for helping me out all those times. So you can only return the favor. Absolutely. So. First, uh, I guess first question would be your impressions from Saturday, the new look offense under Nunzio. And, you know, he's someone that you've covered for a long time. We'll get into that. But mm -hmm. just uh, your initial impressions of what the offense looked like and, and what you think it can be moving forward. Yeah, I thought um, initially just watching the game from home, I was still uh, watching this one on TV. I thought the run game was really effective, clearly the way they ran the ball with Sam Brown was like a finally moment, like Eureka. Hello. Let's <laughs> hand the ball to this guy more. Number 27 in red is a good number. Um, so that was my first impression. Like finally we simplified this enough so we can understand what our strength is. We're going to be a strong, uh, you know, yards after contact team with great defense. Um, it seemed like to me from an outsider perspective, the changes that were made were just the way that Vedral controlled the game at the line of scrimmage he was more of a coach i thought out there on the field ch checking into runs and and changing plays on the fly and i think he was under center obviously that was a big change so just subtle things um and then today in after practice shiano was talking about how gavin has started to adjust to the new offense and i thought he was a little um a little more revealing of what those changes were talking about how the offense is more it's no longer he can just stand and shotgun and get the signal and everyone's getting the signal he was saying that gavin now or Vedral or whoever is playing quarterback has to get the call you know relay it to everyone on the field check it at the line of scrimmage and make sure everyone's on the same page so i think nuns's offense is going to be a little bit more on the quarterback to lead the way then it necessarily it seemed like maybe Gleason's offense, it was a little bit more uh, Gleason calling the shot all the way. So I think that's the biggest thing. Quarterback has a little bit more control to change things in Nunzio's offense. That's a really good point. I, I, the one thing that always drove me crazy about uh, Gleason's offense was it was shotgun, there was no huddle, but yet they all stood around for the whole yeah. play clock waiting for the play. It, yeah. just, it seemed counterproductive to what – you're trying to do in that situation. If you're trying to play a little hurry up, you know, a little bit misdirection, and then you're all just standing there waiting for the call. It just, I don't know. What were your thoughts on how that went? I thought it was so funny that Shannon was talking about tempo when he first made the change, because you're exactly right. When you, when you think of no huddle spread offenses, you're thinking of that high octane uh, spread tempo, but you saw just as much as everyone else. You saw all that standing around and things like that. So it did seem counterproductive. I thought the way they used tempo against Indiana was great. A couple hurry up situations where they, I think they caught the defense on their heels. Um, so, yeah, I think that the 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 speed um, and and tempo changes uh, should be a good thing moving forward. Not necessarily just just saying we're going to be a tempo offense. They're actually doing it a little bit. I thought the other thing that really stood out was the use of personnel, how, uh, you know, obviously Sam Brown, we talked about, uh, but, you know, Aaron Cruikshank using him mm -hmm. in jet sweeps more 
uh, getting him involved in the run game. I thought, you know, one thing I, I, I really was confident going in was Johnny Langan. I was so glad to see them use him as a traditional tight end. He led them in receptions. I think he has so much potential, uh, you know, in that role. Uh, and even Sean Ryan, you know, a guy that, you know, is a proven big play guy. They're finally starting to to realize that, I feel like. You're, you nailed the, let's say, all the ones I forgot to mention. So absolutely, <laughs> uh, you're, you're spot on. I, I talked to Sean Ryan about being a, a deep play threat, and he just seems like the perfect, from a body, physical standpoint, you saw it on the touchdown, how he can go up and get the ball. The personnel was used correctly. That's a, a great way to sum it up. You're, you're spot on. So and Langan and Langan, the Langan thing was is terrific too. I remember Matt Millen on the broadcast saying, like, if this ball was thrown out a little bit ahead of him, he's going for you know extra yardage. So um, a little shot at Bedrill, but yeah, you're right. Uh, the way they used Johnny was great too, for sure. So getting Crookshank, into yeah, sorry. No, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, Crookshank, the the jet sweep, the return. We had one of our uh, viewers or tech service insiders ask us like, why doesn't Rutgers throw screens? And I was like, that, that you're so right. Why doesn't, and why doesn't Rutgers throw screens to a, the running back, but I think B we saw them throw the, you know, the quick screens to Crookshank a little bit more in this game, which is just such a simple and effective play that they can run really well. Yeah. I've thought for a while that even like Al Shadi Salam is somebody that they could get the ball to, you know, short mm-hmm. pass game uh, that you get him out in open space. He's someone that yep. can really do damage. Yeah, and same thing with Aaron Young. If he comes back in uh, this week, he seems to be revving up a little bit. I think he's a perfect screen guy. Well, I think that's the misconception of the offense is that you know that they, 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 there's no speed on the offense. I think that they have, they definitely have speed guys. Even like Chris Long, you know, mm-hmm. I think he has mm-hmm. a lot of potential. It was just that they were playing slow. Yeah, yeah, right, right. Um, well, I think you said it perfectly the way they were just standing around and the tempo didn't make sense. So, yeah. Um, so you covered uh, New Jersey high school sports for 10 years. Uh, obviously, North Jersey, Nunzio uh, at Bergen Catholic, you covered them quite extensively. Yeah. Uh, I guess what are your takeaways of those days in terms of how he was as a coach offensively and kind of how you think that's starting to translate at Rutgers? Nunzio was always innovative for at the high school level. So it's no surprise that he got to where he is now. He was a guy that always did things differently from an offensive scheme. And it's funny because he was more of the spread it out Sean Gleason type of coordinator in high school than, than, than what he's showing now, which is kind of ironic. But um, when he was at Don Bosco, obviously he was the offensive coordinator there. It was more, traditional let's pound the rock greg toll's offense was very run heavy and based off the personnel like you're saying aaron so um so yeah he can be he can be innovative but he's also smart enough to realize what personnel he has and how to suit the offense to that personnel and the biggest thing i always tell people about nunzio is he has that it factor there are there are people that just connect with people and, and Nunzio, whether it was a reporter or, you know, a kid on his team, it, it just always seemed like he connected with him at a little bit of a different level than other coaches I covered. I don't really know how to describe it, but it was just one of those it factor type things, which is what I think it's overlooked in terms on the college level. People don't really think about connections and, and what this coach means on a personal level, 
But I think Nunzio has always been a very good people person. And, and I think he has a good shot at landing this job moving forward based on those intangibles, his innovation and his ability to cater the offensive personnel. So I'm glad you brought that up because I, I, I feel the same way. Uh, you know, for me, obviously the trust factor is there with Chiano. Uh, yeah. The trust factor is there with, with you know, high school uh, coaches, uh, recruits. Um, and I also feel just that, you know, so I wanted to ask you, we're, we're kind of uh, delving into something else, but I think it's relevant. So the biggest takeaway for me on the schedule today for 2023 is that this team has to be ready to go yeah. right right from the get-go to start of next season. So it made me start thinking, I feel like that's a whole other reason why you want Nunzio to work out because yeah. you're starting over in the spring if you bring in a new coordinator. It's a great point. The first time they'll be playing a Big Ten team to open the season, right? That's what you're referencing, Northwestern on the schedule for next year. Yeah, that that's a great point. And... <sighs> I think another point you just hit on is important too. Nunzio has that connection to high school coaches and it's always different when you have one of your own at Rutgers. And that's where Chris Ash lost out on the most, I think, in my opinion, like mm -hmm. he just had no feel for the high school, no feel for the culture. The kids weren't going there. He didn't connect with the kids. That's what I'm talking about with Nunzio and the way he connects, just like the way Shiano connects. He's such a great recruiter. Um, I think Nunzio obviously has the perfect job interview, but in my eyes, I think he's the perfect fit for this, for this job. And, and you're right. Starting over in the spring puts you a step back. So I think if you're a Scarlet faithful supporter, I think you should be rooting for Nunzio. Yeah. And obviously we have to see more progress, right? We have to see that the offense is, is, is forming an identity, but I, I, I think, yeah, people are not putting enough, I guess, weight into the fact that if you spend the whole rest of the season developing some type of identity and then you're just going to strip that away. It doesn't, I, I, for me, I don't think Shiano, I mean, I thought Shiano almost, it was a tell and I mean, maybe I read into it too much, but when he said, he said something like, if it comes to that, when he was talking about interviewing on the wow. outside wow. and I just, wow. I don't know. I, I, I think that he wants this to work out as much as Nunzio wants it to work out. Yep. Yep, I think Steve Politi on our podcast once said that Nunzio has the he's the glass case on the fire extinguisher in case of emergency, you break <laughs> it. <laughs> but I think he, I think you're absolutely right. I think everyone wants Nunzio to work this to work out for Nunzio, Shiano included. So we'll see. Time will tell. He passed so, his first test. He passed the first test last week. So he's got a couple more games to go here. So I heard you say this, and it was exactly what, I, what I've thought, too, in terms of now that we start to get into the meat of the schedule, you know, Minnesota has a top 10 defense. Michigan has a top five defense. Uh, you know, now this defense has fill or this offense has, you know, there's tape on them now. I mean, it is predictable in a way in terms of how they kind of operate against Indiana. Now you're going against these great defenses. So I thought your point that you made on the rant this week was, you know, about Wimzap being out there creates more of a dynamic for, you know, it's more for defenses to worry about and yeah. it does open up other things. How, how, how much do you think that that is maybe, I mean, Shiano seems to bring Wimzap up a lot. Is yeah. That, you know, to keep him happy. Do you think that he really <laughs> is trying to, to find a Gosh. way to get him involved? What a question. I, 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 
I don't know why he brings them up all the time. He brought them up un- unprovoked at his press conference on Monday, which I thought was so weird. Uh, maybe it is to keep him happy. Maybe it is that he does still have a role in this offense. Like the like you said, the point I, I tried to make is that if you're going to pound the rock the way they did against Indiana, you're going to see a full you're going to see a full box, right? There's going to be eight nine guys in the box every time, and and if you're not able to take the top off the defense, then then you don't have much of an offense. So if Noah can't do that, you got to have to make a change. And I just think that when you have Wimsett in there, he has that ability to throw the ball downfield, but you're sacrificing the inexperience and the mistakes. So I know the complimentary football part of it is let's play it safe. Let our defense win, win games versus let's take risks with Wimsett and uh, potentially take away those big plays, but, but potentially have those mistakes and interceptions and turnovers, which, which will kill any team. So stylistically, what I thought was interesting was like, you know, um, all the bootlegs they were running with Vedral, you Mm -hmm. know, I I was wondering your thoughts on, do you think that was almost a dress rehearsal for getting the line and getting the offense used to that for when wins that does. Wow. Because it seems like, you know, that that's a way to utilize him that maybe yeah. is more, you know, it's because we know it's more of a pro style, right? But it's, yeah, but using the boot, like getting him out, you know, rolled out, not. No, I, I just think, I just think Vedral's good at that too and yeah. always has been in a sense. And so I don't think that was necessarily like a tell that we're getting this ready for Gavin. I think it was more of a, it also plays to the strength of, of, uh, of Vedral. Sorry. Um, yeah. Cause he, and, and he makes pretty good decisions when he's on, when he's, when he's out of the pocket too. So um, I think it just plays to his strength a little bit. It probably, uh, I think also maybe takes a little pressure off too with the offensive line in terms of yeah. keeping someone, you know, uh, in the pocket, getting him out of the pocket, you know, gets him a little bit more flexibility. Absolutely. I, I always t- talking with Politi on our podcast. I'm always like, look at the job they're doing for Daniel Jones and the giants, the way they've been able to, get him out of the pocket and how much it's changed his game. That's not necessarily what's going to happen here at Rutgers, but it's, it goes back to the bigger point of what Nunzio is doing is catering the offense to his personnel, which mm-hmm. is the big, the big point that uh, has to be made. So defense uh, right now, you know, number seven total defense in the nation. Uh, I mean, five of the offenses they've gone against, you know, have not been good. Some of the worst in college football, yeah. Uh, but as good defenses do, they've dominated those bad offenses. How much do you read into that? How how good, I guess, do you think this defense ultimately can be? I saw I saw one stat about their blitz rate being also the highest in the Big Ten, which is fascinating. So it's not just that they're they're playing really stout; they're they're scheming that toughness, uh, which is important. That's what I wrote, and my my pick will come out tomorrow. And my to give you a little uh, preview of that, it was. My question is, okay, which Rutgers defense is going to show up? The run defense that got gashed at Ohio State or the rush defense that has been so dominant against the lesser competition? That's the key to this Minnesota game because obviously uh, Ibrahim is so, so effective. Um, I worry about that personally. Um, I think I think it's a little bit of both. To, to, be, to, to answer your direct question, I think the Rutgers front seven is really good. The way they've used Izian is incredible. And the way the, the defensive line has played has been really, really good. 
but I think it's also a mix of they've played some bad teams. And when they played Ohio state, it, it kind of showed how, how porous the defense could be. So I'm, I'm worried about Minnesota. I'm certainly worried about Michigan, the way they dominated that in Penn state. You saw that and yeah. how they dominated Minnesota last week. So we'll see. This is, this is the perfect example of uh show up and do your job. If you know, this is the perfect example to chop. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, as a Rutgers fan, you know, this is always the time when the defense starts to wear down during the season, you know, the last five weeks of the season, you know, third quarter, fourth quarter. And and it's almost like we know what Shiano wants to do with the offense, but if, if it's so obvious and like you said, you can't go over the top of the defense and it's three and out, you know, four or five plays a drive. Yeah. The defense is going to get a lot of pressure on it against better offenses. I, I, I think the Minnesota game is kind of a great test run for, you know, then you go to Michigan, Michigan yep. State, Penn State, all in a row. Yeah, 100%. It's a winnable game in my eyes, um, but you're right. It's the perfect litmus test because the team's kind of it, – it's so fascinating with the, the coaching staff, that, the way P.J. Fleck comes from the Shiano tree and what Minnesota is doing and Harris Simiak comes from Fleck's tree, right? Like they – it's so similar that – I just can't wait to see how it all unfolds. And I, I think, like you said, Minnesota's defense is top 10. They run the ball really well. Rutgers' defense is just outside the top 10, runs the ball really well. So something's got to give. They're they're kind of clones of each other. And um, then you're right. Then it's then it's on to Michigan and, and the grind is on. So we shall see. We shall see. I started laughing because I, I looked at a flex press conference and the first thing he said about the loss last week was we need to play complimentary football. No. <laughs> and I was just like, is he trolling Shiano or is that really just programmed in his mind too? It was really funny. Yeah, that's, that's terrific. That's terrific. But, but true. I mean, when you have one of the nation's best running backs, you better be able to just give him the ball and let your defense do his job. So. He's right. He probably heard Shiano say it, and then it just stuck in his head, kind of like uh, you know, one of these rowing the boat kind of thing. Where he got that from? So obviously, you know, Fleck knows Shiano inside and out. But I actually think, do, do you think there's an advantage with having Harrisimiak in that he know, you know, he knows their roster. He knows, yeah. their, you know, nobody on the Minnesota staff they know Shiano, they know Rutgers, but they don't know the roster the way Harrisimiak mm-hmm. knows the Minnesota roster. Yeah, it's a great point. It's a great, great point. Um, I, I, when I take a step back and look at it from 30,000 feet, I think the whole familiarity thing is kind of overblown, Yeah. but, you're, but, but from a certain sense, I, I feel like you're right. Like that is a direct knowledge that could play into this game. And, and uh, yeah, and similarly, similarly think about Boston college too. all those guys that were up there. And mm-hmm. at the end of the day, I don't think it really mattered all that much, but we in, in the media kind of just like, we need something <laughs> to write about. So I was <laughs> uh, never lost to a former assistant. I wrote that today. I so. saw that. I saw that. Yeah. That was a good stat. I didn't realize yeah, that. Yeah. There so that's you a go. good omen, I guess, going into the game. Yep. The toughest test yet. Toughest test yet. So a couple more for you, just in terms of big picture for the rest of this season, you know, to put you on the spot a little bit. I mean, how many games do you think reasonably they can win before the end of the year? So I've been on the, they're going to upset Penn state uh, trend. I don't know why it's been my thing. I say every week on the rant, Um, (laughs) but 
there are three winnable games. There's no question. And then, so Minnesota is winnable. Michigan State's winnable, and Maryland could be winnable. And then I think Michigan's a juggernaut, and and Penn State is would be the ultimate upset. Like that's Rutgers fans have been waiting for that win for how many years, right? So I think Penn State hasn't looked flashy enough, but no team in the Big Ten's been flashy outside of uh, you know Ohio State. Even Michigan's kind of doing the boring kind of fo- brand of football. Um, so I don't know. Listen, I, can they get to six and six? I think they can. Is five and seven more realistic? Yes, probably, but I'm an optimist. So I think they can get to six and six. How about that? Wow. Okay. All right. I like that. I like that thing. I, I you know, I think at Michigan, it's funny. The road games are much more winnable than the home games. Yeah. 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 Which, which never happens in the Big Ten, but uh, or should happen in the Big Ten. But you're right about that for sure. But it's actually been there. Shiano's done better on the road, right? Right. Uh, but think about the the streak. The streak. Five years they hadn't won a game at home. Big Ten game at home. I mean, that's unbelievable. I, I saw somebody. I don't know if somebody tweeted it. it was uh, that James Cratch never saw them win at home? Yeah. Yes. During, yes. His, during his beat yes. run with. The... I yeah, it's on that one. I think. Um, <laughs> what, an, what an incredible stat. So, yeah, I still um, haven't seen it technically because I wasn't there either. So, right. <laughs> <laughs> it's only been one year for me, though, as opposed to, I think, three or four for Cratch. Um, and just in terms of, uh, I guess, let's say they don't win another game. Uh, what has to happen? Is, is that a total failure for the season or are there things that could still happen? that we could walk away from and say, you know what? They didn't win the way we wanted them down the stretch, but they accomplished X, Y, and Z. Uh, I'm not like a, I'm not a silver lining kind of guy in that sense. Like, Hey, moral victory. I think you got to beat at least, at least one of those three, whether it's whether there's Minnesota, Michigan state or Maryland, because that's who you're competing against every year. And if, if, if this isn't the year, then why, why, why should we believe it's going to be next year? Yeah. Um, so I think you got to at least win one more, at least one more. And then maybe as uh Politi pointed out on the rant, you get in at five and seven in a bowl game again, because they're going <laughs> to run out of spots, but we shall see to be determined. But I, I think, no, I don't, I don't think. And here's the other point the the, the counterpoint to that is like, is Gavin even going to play the rest of the way? So right. are you going to go into next year not knowing who the quarterback is? Because clearly Vegel's out of eligibility. Um, if you're, if you, if the wheels do fall off, you got to go to Wimsat like immediately. I think that's, that could be the only scenario where I see, all right, we, we got something out of this, this five game losing streak to end the year. We know that we have this pretty good quarterback waiting in the wings and he just got some pretty good experience playing in the big 10. Yeah, I think that's a really underrated storyline. Even though we talk about Wimsat all the time, it's like you know how, how you know if he leaves right after the season, then I mean you gotta you gotta dig hard into that transfer portal. I think they gotta go into the transfer portal anyway, just to round it out. Like you can't go into yeah. a season with two quarterbacks, so you're right. gonna have to walk a tightrope there because you don't want to bring in someone so experienced that he beats out Gavin or even Evan Simon but you also need a quarterback that's reliable enough to, to round out the depth because they don't have a recruit coming in for next year either. Well, that brings up, I, I actually, I'm glad you brought that up because you being a high school guy too, you know, 
I thought that that was almost like a tell. Yeah, of course. Gleason didn't have a quarterback locked in for next year. It just yep. didn't seem – I'm not like trying to say it was anything weird, but it was just – it was odd to me that they yep. – you know, it didn't even see – like I they agree. weren't even pursuing that many. Right. I, I agree. And I think um, – yeah, I, I just don't know that they're – I don't know that there's a great guy in Jersey this year, but to not get anyone I think is, is, is bizarre. Uh, yeah. And, and telling that, that they know they got their guy and they can go out in the portal and find, find a backup. Uh, I, I guess is the plan. Yeah. Well, we've seen how Rutgers has done in the portal with quarterbacks in the past. I mean, Vet Vedrill's right. unequivocally the, the biggest success right. of all of them, but I mean, they've crashed and burned with, with quite a few. Yeah. Free so. hate and red tag. <laughs> and uh just one more for you just in terms of um i guess the way the big 10 is 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 looking uh the schedule next year potentially divisions going away um you know how do you see this rebuild as of right now obviously we have to see how the season plays out but you know as divisions potentially changing going away a good thing uh and i guess what has to happen for with recruiting the way it has been, you know, is, is Nunzio, you know, potentially taking over? Is that a, a boost you think potentially with him and Augie Hoffman uh, in terms of have, you know, they're having a bit of a down year this year. And maybe, maybe that does speak to the uh, offensive coordinator who's now gone and maybe they can kickstart something with, with those two moving forward. All right. Let's uh, let's start with the divisions, right? That's a huge, huge deal. It's got to be whatever, whatever happens, it's got to be beneficial for Rutgers to get out of the juggernaut East. So you're hundred percent right. That's, that's beneficial. Um, in terms of recruiting. Yeah. I mean, I think the Shiano way has always been development over bringing in the flash. Like you can't get the flash until you, the flashy recruit until you start winning. You see it in basketball, of course. And like now Rutgers can recruit at a little bit higher level because they're winning. Uh, it's the same way in, in any sport. So until you start winning, you're not going to get those best, those A guys, but it's about developing the B guys, right? It's taking the Brian Leonard's and the Ray Rice's who are under-recruited and turning them into superstars. I think what you're seeing with the young defense and guys like Sam Brown on offense, he was a four-star, but still it it's about getting those young guys experience. And I think that's the part of the rebuild. That's the most important thing. All these young guys are playing playing at a pretty high level and building for the future. So I think what they've done this year so far has been, has been, has been perfect in terms of development. We'll just see if they can develop the quarterback of the future. <laughs> and to end on that, a good point. I mean, the defense, I think it was something like nine out of 11 have over two years experience yeah. left nine of the yep. 11 starters currently. Yep. 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 And that's, that's what you need. That's what you need. No doubt about it. Pat Lanning, New Jersey Advanced Media. Thanks so much for uh, all, all your insight. Really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, loving your coverage uh, on the beat this year. Welcome back uh, from paternity leave. And uh, yeah. thanks so much for, for, you know, for being here again. Hey, thanks for having me, Aaron. I really appreciate it. You, you do such a great job, too. And, you know, if you're a Rutgers fan and you're not following this guy, you're crazy. <laughs> I, I, I didn't that. I didn't pay. I uh, the Venmo will hit right after this. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, you got my number. <laughs> All right, and thanks, uh, thanks, Pat again, and thanks for everyone for listening. We'll be back uh, next week uh, with another episode.